Welcome to the Compliance Week podcast, powered by Navix. For more information about Compliance Week, visit www.complianceweek.com. And now, let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Compliance Week podcast, where we are taking a look at the digital transformation of compliance and speaking with leaders in the space on the impact on the profession. Uh, for this week's episode, I am pleased to have with me Compliance Week Advisory Board member Stan Yakov. Stan has worked for over a decade in financial services at firms including Citadel Securities, Marshall Waste, and Knight Capital Group, having pioneered analytics programs in RegTech and legal and compliance, as well as covered sophisticated trading and technology environments across a spectrum of financial products globally. Additionally, Stan serves as a law professor at Fordham Law School, teaching trading, risk management, and market structure regulation. And when he's not building or lecturing, you can find Stan on the tennis court. Stan, that's something that, as a former sports reporter, I found I can write about tennis, but I cannot play tennis to save my life. So I think it's really impressive that you're getting out there on the courts. Um, so this week, uh, I, I'm really happy to, to, to have Stan on here because him and I were talking about something separately. And I had mentioned this series to him uh, that we were doing this. And he said he felt like it was a really timely topic to be getting at at this point in time. So of course, my next question was, all right, well, let me get you on there. Uh, so Stan, when you said that, you know, this is a really timely topic right now. Why do you feel that that's the way things are at this point in time? Yeah, let's jump right into it, Kyle. Um, and just beforehand, let me give a quick disclosure that the views expressed here in are solely those of my own and do not necessarily reflect any current or prior employer. Um, now, with that being said, uh, probably most importantly, it's never too late to pick up tennis. It's like a really great sport um, and tremendous amount of analytics in that sport too, which I think is what leads us to uh, the discussion we have today. So in terms of like digital transformation, why is it so important for compliance in 2023 in general going forward? Uh, the way I try to thematically frame this is a couple quotes that I think people have probably recently heard. So firstly, the amount of data we produce every day is it approximately 2.5 quintillion bytes. So after this podcast, we'll have made a pretty significant contribution to that, I imagine. Um, and secondly, like over the last two years, like over 90% of the world's data was generated according to IBM. Uh, so, you know, if you also think about this, like this quote is from several years ago. So you can imagine the magnitude of this in, in present day. So we take a step back from macro level, you know, the purpose of technology is really to allow humans to tackle the characteristics of a problem statement like this, which is the frequency of data generation, the volume, the variability, the global nature, the dependencies or the interoperability between the data and so on. And we're sure we'll talk about practical use cases for this. Um, simultaneously in the financial industry, you see the SEC recently announced record-breaking fine amounts um, this past year, and along with dozens and dozens of new rules that target some of the most foundational principles of uh, securities regulation, right? So, you know, if you really think about it, uh, technology is your best friend, or it's going to be whether you like it or not. <laughs> now, that being said, uh, you know, it comes with its risks, right? And I think, let me say a couple things about risks here. And I want to give a shout out to uh, Justin Ross from uh, FedEx, who's the chief compliance officer in the prior digital transformation um, podcast. Just again, this is how timely all of this is. Echoing some of the important lessons learned, um, you know, when you think about how do I digitally transform my business and adopt technology in the most effective and efficient way. So in terms of some of the risks, like one of the things Justin laid out is that um, when you engage with vendors or tech providers, they're always going to tell you yes, they can't solve your problems. 
right? And sometimes people use the phrase trust but verify. And I want to change this. Uh, I don't want to say uh, prove it next time someone says, oh, of course we could do this. We already do this and so on and so forth, uh, which leads to like the next lesson, which is like don't buy anything without actually seeing it and more importantly trying it. And when we talk about trying, let's uh, double click into this. So this aspect needs to be tailored in a way such that when you get a um, like a proof of concept or a POC environment, uh, it's going to be as close to one to one as possible as your actual production environment and your day to day operations. So a demo environment that represents, for example, just 10% of your company is unlikely to be a real measurement test of what you're going to encounter every single day. And it's really important to try to mimic you know, what you're going to see from a demo or POC perspective to be as close as possible to what your reality is so you could properly pressure test the solution to ensure it truly meets your needs. And, you know, I noticed that Halloween is approaching. So just to give a little bit of a horror story uh, about this, um, you know, I've seen cases where like firms are trying to look at algorithmic uh, communication surveillance, right, technologies uh, to be able to analyze all your communications uh, every single day for potentially suspicious language or market abuse or IP theft and things of that nature. And, you know, the vendor says, um, we have AI, uh, you know, we have all this sophisticated technology, it runs every single day, it analyzes and finds all these cool things. And, you know, the firm will spend months and months going through this uh, due diligence process, never once actually look at the actual algorithm or any of the algorithms and see what's what's under the hood, how's it properly developed. And, you know, once they actually do that, lo and behold, there's no AI there. It's just a very simple lexicon or an outdated lexicon or a lexicon that's very, very tough to manage, right? So, you know, that being said, like, um, there's a higher cost to trying to structure, uh, you know, a, a POC in a way that's more representative or wholesome of your environment. But, you know, I think that um, the cost of taking the wrong solution or getting something that's potentially not representative of what day to day is going to occur in your world is much higher, especially being contractually locked up for for multiple years. Right. Um, so I'll pause there um, for a second. And I'm happy to keep on going on risks, but <laughs> mindful this can go a lot of different ways. Yeah, I mean, yeah. once you start to open the risk rabbit hole, it really opens up uh, nice and deep. Uh, you know, a couple of the things you mentioned that, that stood out to me, Stan, is, uh, you know, that, that idea of trust but verify, and I've heard this at some of the conferences I've attended, uh, it's compared to the idea of, you know, if, if you're a parent and you have a young child uh, and they are, you're asking them if they brush their teeth, you know, their answer is always going to be, oh, yes, I did. And sometimes you may not quite necessarily have that. It's that you got to check that toothbrush and you got to make sure those bristles are wet uh, if you're going to get that correct answer down. Uh, and then on, on some of the other aspects you talked about and, and, you know, the data, just how much is out there. Um, you know, we're, we're recording this con, uh, this podcast and I just attended our, our compliance with Europe conference. And that was a big part of the conversation was, you know, if, if, you, if the debate is so focused on, oh, who's it going to be the humans or the machines, you're missing the big picture. It's all about the data on both ends. Uh, the data has got to drive the machines and the data needs to inform the humans. Um, so that's just such a key aspect about all this is that that data, it's, there's so much of it. And it's so valuable. And that's why, you know, you got to get it straightened out in the right ways in order to really kind of see the true value. Um, so something else you mentioned is, hey, like it or not, technology is going to have to be your friend. Uh, and so that's just the way things are going at this point. So in what areas of the job can investment in new technology make the biggest difference? 
You know, I really like that toothbrush um, statement you mentioned there, which was also just reminding me of some of the other risks. And I guess in the spirit of Halloween, you know, we could provide a little bit more, more scary war stories on this. So, you know, you give this toothbrush example, of course I brush my teeth and, you know, actually check and trust, but, you know, it's me when I think about data um, and then we'll get to practical use cases in a bit. Um, I, I sometimes give this analogy of like, if you don't focus on data from the early onset of the generation process and what you're actually creating, um, it's like analogously to ignoring your kids for the first 18 years or de de developmental stages of their life. And then you then wonder why they're not, you know, great members of society as you kind of hope for. I could put it this way, the therapy and rehab costs that will come at that point will be way more than <laughs> it was ever worth to actually focus on this in the first place. Um, and so this kind of goes back to like, when you start to generate data, you have to be really, really thoughtful around um, why are you doing it? Is it in a format that's consistent? Who actually owns this? Can we do it in a in a schema that we can then report on and, and measure on? Because um, there's a couple other things Justin said. I think this may have been one of the primary items of garbage in, garbage out, right? So if your if your data is wrong, like your reporting is not going to magically be correct. Going back to this uh, analogy of uh, rehab is not going to fix you know, all the years that you you weren't there for to properly build the right discipline, um, you know, into uh, into your child. Um, the other aspect that I think is really important, too, is that uh, vendors or other people are not going to solve your own problems. Right. So, again, it was your child all along the way. You can't be looking to someone else to kind of magically um, <laughs> make a fix there. And uh, I think one other similar theme to this, uh, sometimes I give this acronym of uh, ABCD, always be collecting data from a systems engineering perspective, because oftentimes, uh, you know, I see people want analytics, but only to realize that, hey, the data wasn't available there in the first place. And it's quite important when you're thinking about like new businesses, processes, systems to ask yourself the question of, do I need to measure this? If so, how can I measure this to ensure it's effective and efficient? What metrics will do that? And then essentially that exercise will inform you what data you need, right? And probably the last kind of um, war story lesson learned, I'd, I'd probably say there is it's really important to understand what dependencies are necessary for the technology to operate because if there's multiple data streams, data sources, and um, you know those aren't available and oftentimes they have different owners and organizations, your technology is not going to operate, right? And like in an AI generative um, AI context uh, or like ChatGPT, sometimes you, you see this word hallucination. Really, what that means, like technologically and mathematically, is that there's probably an imperfect amount of information that a model has to make a decision on and the model doesn't have any code that says hey don't make a decision right it probably is going to default to something and you really want to look into that defaulting behavior because um, it may result in an outcome that you never wanted in the first place whereas if a human looked at this they quickly say actually we don't want to we don't want to decide we rather just um you know say like there's imperfect information or you pretty much pause you know, the model from creating an output and bringing a human in the middle, right? So now that we've laid out some uh, some scary stuff, let's go, let's go to the fun stuff. Like, let's go to the uh, aspect of where could we deploy this that will make our lives happier, easier, and um, all that kind of stuff. So the way I try to frame this is that sticking with kind of the themes we outlined before in terms of the uh, proliferation of data in practice, I think the following areas are probably the most effective in terms of deploying technology to gain the efficiencies that you want. So number one, like the continuous streaming of data that you need monitored and the best examples from a compliance perspective where this has proven to be of greatest value is transaction monitoring from the AML perspective for possible money laundering, such as like smurfing or layering techniques. 
um, continuous KYC or know your customers where you're identifying any changes to a customer's reported profile, which in turn signifies the risk, like such as, for instance, associations with any sanctions list, negative media sentiment, negative regulatory filings, things of that nature. Um, trade surveillance or possible market abuse or market manipulation for those firms in like the trading space, broker dealers, asset managers, banks, energy shops, right? Um, communication surveillance we alluded to before for possible suspicious activity. For example, IP theft, insider threat, disparaging regulators, which is something you saw in the Boeing 2020 case, right? Failure to escalate issues or, you know, possibly trying to obfuscate issues from detection, um, you know, and then characteristics or I should say schemes like collusion, insider trading, things of that nature. Um, political contributions monitoring is another area, especially as we're going into election season. So like pay to pay, pay to play compliance, right? Possible bribery of, um, of political figures, uh, personal trading monitoring for any indications of where staff have not disclosed like personal trading accounts or even where they have disclosed their accounts, they may not have gotten approval for personally transacting in a stock whereas they should have beforehand, right? Or they exceeded the scope of their approval. Uh, I'd probably say lastly, like reputational risk monitoring. So scanning social media for negative sentiment about your company or even from a business sense about your competitors so that you know you kind of closer know what they're doing. The other theme I would say that's I think quite valuable from a use case perspective, which Justin touched upon too, is the electronification of data where you not only want to move away from paper, but create a an actual data schema so that you have consistent information, which if you do this right, you've also centralized your data, which is going to allow for all the cool analytics, whether it's Power BI or Tableau that Justin had mentioned previously. So examples of this are quite frankly, um, electronification of forms, so outside business activities, gifts and entertainment, conflicts of interest registers, uh, even a calendar for like regulatory reporting and deadlines so you could be much more proactive about these. Training is also quite important, particularly if you're able to uh, do training in a way that's custom to different teams or functions or geographies and make it self-service so that it you know, goes along with their job rather than some inconvenient time in the middle of the day when they're working on production matters, right? And then this way, by having the data electronified, you can also then monitor and make sure people have completed the training. You have records easily available for regulators if ever asked upon. If anyone's not done the training, you know, you kind of have your conduct risk monitoring sorted out from there. Um, to the extent that firms have this too, hotline monitoring, case management is pretty important too. Um, and probably the last thing I'd say is just on this topic of centralization. Uh, even if you do get the information electronified, like the last thing you want to be doing is to have different databases, different systems, different processes, different APIs. So the more that you have all of this in the same centralized platform or system, the easier it's going to be able uh, enable you to do reporting and, and monitoring. Yeah, thanks, Dan. And, and, like, and one of the like things, right? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, and that'll tee up perfectly into my next question here. So, uh, for starters, though, I, I do want to circle back really quick. Something you mentioned: the idea that you know, again, AI doesn't have a filter; it's going to give you an answer pretty much no matter what. And this is again just an analogy I heard uh, at a recent event that I was attending: uh, is AI is a lot like a, a drunken intern. It's going to say a lot of things with a lot of confidence but not everything it's going to say is going to be right. Uh, and so you do need to have that level of discernment that comes in uh, to make sure that you're, you're making the right call. But, you know, you went on to list just a bunch of different areas that, you know, technology investment can make a difference in. And that's why I think a lot of firms are really kind of quantifying right now is, okay, well, what's, what's our biggest risk areas? Where are our biggest opportunities? Uh, and then let's invest in technology accordingly with that. 
but obviously there's the age old issue with compliance and that there's never enough resource support. And that's just the way it's always gonna go. So, uh, you know, if we're looking at all these areas uh, and, and really trying to figure out how we can get buy-in from the C-suite to be able to invest in that. So how can compliance officers make that business case for these different areas that technology can make a difference in? And as a bit of a follow-up question to that, what's also the business case for making sure that you have the right personnel uh, to implement these technologies because we're seeing it more and more now compliance teams are not just lawyers uh, and, and legal experts uh, you need data scientists you need people who understand the technologies in order to get the most out of them uh, so what's that conversation like to make sure that you get that buy-in and that support to build these correct structures that you need to really kind of get the most out of technology yeah, so in terms of making the business case, I think this comes up in three ways. Like, number one, I'll classify it as on merit, which I think a lot of us are familiar with, which is essentially arguing that areas where there's like legitimate time and cost savings and just overall improved accuracy, like since we all know actual issues eat up significant time, like as a matter of having, let's say, um, automated a process or such that more time is freed up for actual advisory, monitoring, testing, and regulatory preparedness. You know, I think that there's definitely a value that's gained from there. Uh, it's harder to show this unless you really have like studied your own firm and basically done the analysis and said, here's like, you know, if you take um, a month and divide it up into the four weeks and say, here are all the processes or tasks or objectives we've, we've performed and here's how long it took each of them. Here's the accuracy of each of them. Here's how many uh, different touch points we had to have across the organization like all these things help make that case but keep in mind it's harder to make that case without the actual data which itself takes quite a lot of or i don't want to say a, a trivial amount of work um you know to do uh the other aspect with merit is like the best offense is a great defense right and i think this level of preparedness from a regulatory standpoint will help reduce your outside counsel spend so it's kind of another way of arguing um for you know a tech budget um, from this perspective, because like the outside counsel spend may actually come in far greater than your internal cost of employees and, and technologies itself. And one of the data points I imagine a lot of people would actually be really interested in when it comes to enforcement actions is not just the fine at the end of the day, like the disgorgement or the related penalty, but actually the outside counsel spend that came with it, um, as well as the cost of the monitor, if any is required, right? So for those academics listening, I feel like I just gave you your next interesting survey or journal publication, or perhaps we can assign this little bit of homework to Navex as part of the next annual survey there. <laughs> um, the, the second way I try to think about making the business case is just regulatory standards alone. So what I mean by this is like, if you're in the financial services industry, it's quite well known that the SEC has immensely invested in its own technological capabilities with systems like MIDAS, which stands for Market Information Data Analytics System, or the NEAT system, which is like the National Exam Analytics Tool, or CAT, which is the Consolidated Audit Trail. Each of these um, you know, surveillance tools and systems basically give the SEC daily vigilance over the market at a very great scale. And you see similar approaches with the DOJ, like they've created a compliance and analytics unit. There's dedicated task forces on emerging technology issues like crypto, DeFi, spoofing, and so on, right? And um, this is no stranger internationally either. So if you look at regulators like the FCA, they hold several reg tech sprints and staged an innovation hub to look for ways technology can improve business practices. You know, again, going back to the US, you see the Federal Reserve and New York Department of Financial Services basically have pretty similar models. So uh, I think you're gonna see this continue to be copied globally and evolve. And what this means in practice is that if the regulators are updating their systems, they're gonna hold you to the higher standard, whether you like it or not, 
right? And like lastly, I'd probably say if you look at the corporate guidelines by the DOJ, they essentially like implicate, if not require, the use of tech to actually achieve the credit you want to get. Not that I ever want to use this example because it's way too late at this point. But if you're really, really just trying to think proactively and never want to be in this situation in the first place, like you know, this is kind of the way that I think you have to uh, you have to approach the problem, right? The last thing I'd probably say, because um, this probably a more interesting perspective too, is there's an interesting paper by Indiana University professors, uh, Todd Hall, if I'm pronouncing his name right, sorry, Todd, if I'm not, and Sunil uh, Badi from earlier this summer titled Valuing Corporate Compliance, where they actually dive into the question of, do consumers actually care about compliance, right? So for example, if there's a value to compliance for consumers, can that value then be attached back onto the business itself, right? So in practice, this should mean that when consumers purchase products, they're more willing to pay for a brand associated with a robust compliance program than other brands. And what's interesting in this paper, and you know, I don't want to spoil all of it, just given a high-level summary, it's a really interesting read, is that uh, number one, like consumers will pay more for compliance. Um, like secondly, they found that consumers value products from companies that have compliance programs more than they would other attributes of the products, like some specific features and stuff like that. Um, and Thirdly, like consumers are willing to pay price premiums for compliance programs that are targeted at the products that they're purchasing. So I think from a point of view of like reputational risk management and just brand awareness, like this is the way that you want to be positioning your product. And to do that, you need an effective program, right, which should help with the budgetary decisions. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that research paper, Stan. Uh, research paper, Stan, and I, I think to all of our listeners, uh, bookmark that one. Uh, if it's going to go ahead and say, "Hey, spending compliance is going to lead to spending the business," uh, that's always something that's going to make your argument uh, much easier. Um, so the last question I have, Stan, uh, I, I kind of want to piggyback off of some of the regulation aspect that you mentioned. So, like you said, all these regulators are investing and they're building up their own programs, but they're also keeping a close eye in how companies are investing in technology and then what they're doing to make sure that um the technology is being implemented properly so you know if your business is investing in new technologies what does that year one of implementation look like uh, in terms of due diligence just to make sure that you're meeting those regulator expectations yeah that's a really good question um and i think this gets structured into um two aspects one is the company itself too is like the people which i think you actually alluded to just before this too so in terms of the people like year one is really an if you haven't done this already an introspective exercise coupled with some external serving to see what others are doing and you know in that um you know in that vein like forums like compliance week are quite helpful and not just giving the plug considering the podcast we're on right now um you know forums like compliance week are quite helpful to ascertain like the best practices and area of areas of exploration that firms are undertaking right and internally what you want to be looking at are characteristics like where you have high error or fail rates um, functions or tasks that take too long functions or tasks that take you by surprise such as regulatory preparedness in the case of an exam like or an investigation or functions or tasks that are manual or take a high tolerance of precision from a human in order to be correct, right? Because we you know people make mistakes. Um, these are the areas that will uncover like possible opportunities for tech adoption and digital transformation. So I think that's really what that year one exercise looks like internally and simultaneously learning as much as you can externally from what others are doing and trying to see if those same practices make sense in your firm. In terms of the people part, because I think that's important and uh, Justin actually alluded to this too, um, in his uh, podcast where if you feel behind or overwhelmed, uh, don't rush, 
right? This isn't a situation where you have to like immediately uptrain and transform lawyers into coders or anything of that, nor is it the case that like the legal compliance department or whatever control function will be a series of robocops or anything like that. Like that's not what the future really looks like. Um, it's more that from personnel perspective that people have an open mindedness and curiosity to how technology processes systems can be made better. Essentially, it's more like an efficiency um, thought process and philosophy than anything else. And I think what you're looking for is really an understanding of the architecture and interoperability of technology to place you in the best position for digital transformation. Analogously, I, I think about this like you know, um, people are homeowners, like chances are they're not the plumber and the electrician in their home, but generally speaking, they should have a general idea for how that's constructed, designed, or how it could fail, so that if any problems come up, they understand what a probable solution would be, and they're not just like grasping for straws in the dark, right? And just having that open-mindedness, I think is going to go a really long way. Um, but simultaneously, there's an aspect of like education, like you have to constantly be staying up to date um, in the field because it's, you know, technology changes. Like a, a week is probably an equivalent of a year, right, in this world. Well, hey, Stan, I, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that I don't uh, know how to play tennis for the life of me, but I think you and I just had a pretty good series of always back and forth here. A lot to talk about in a really short amount of time. And I really appreciate you joining the podcast here. Uh, to share some of your views on on technology because like we said it's an important topic and it's not going anywhere um, so i'm glad that we were able to sort of uh hash it out a little bit uh again everyone uh my name is kyle brasser i'm editor-in-chief at compliance week uh, i was joined for this podcast uh, by stan yakov who is a fordham law professor stan thanks so much for taking the time my pleasure thanks kyle thanks Scott.